And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor, an author and professor of political science, Grove City College. He is the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at the college. And Dr. Kangor, it's an honor to have you on with us again today. Oh, well, thank you, Dan. It's always good to be with you. You know, ordinarily during an interview, we'll wait to the very end and say, uh, give us information about a book you've written or whatever. But uh, today I'd like right up front, uh, Dr. Kangor, you have written a fairly recent book uh, with the title Dupes. (laughs) And I'm wondering if you would just share with our listeners what that book is about. Well, sure, sure. You know, that that phrase dupes it's it's actually a word that goes way back in American history in fact George Washington actually warned about dupes in his farewell address so it's you know, you think that that's mainly a cold war term and and it did become predominantly one in the 1940s 1950s Vladimir Lenin used the phrase useful idiots was the phrase that he used but it's it's it sounds like name calling but but it's a very specific word that, re- that refers to being duped, right? Being being tricked, yeah. being deceived. And and that's a very important part of understanding what's happened in American history, because a lot of times, Dan, it's it's not that we're being undermined by by traitors or saboteurs or or people inside the White House who are working for the Soviets, right? I mean a lot of times it's a case of a president a Secretary of State. You know, here I'm thinking in particular of, of FDR in the FDR years, where where they they are just terribly naive about about the adversary. And there there are many cases with with FDR where he was warned by Congressman Martin Dyes, a fellow Democrat, by Admiral Bill Leahy, Anna Rosenberg, Adolph Gurley. Uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, Cardinal Spellman, Eugenio Pacelli. I, I mean, I could go on and on and give 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 examples where they told him again and again, you know, "Sir, this, this communist threat is is really dangerous. It's at your doorstep, and, and it's even a threat to your administration." Sure. And he would say again and again, Dan. He he would say, "No, no, it's fascism. We need to worry about." It's Hitler we need to worry about. We need to worry about fascists in the United States. Um, I've got a good handle on communism. You know, Eleanor and I have a bunch of friends who are communists. I could, I could handle the communists. I could handle the communists. And then he would say things like, I think that if I give Stalin everything that he asked for and asked for nothing in return, noblesse oblige, that's the word he used, then Stalin will work with me for a world of democracy and peace. Mm. So it, it wasn't that he was a communist. It wasn't that he was working for the Soviets, but, but he was duped. He was deceived. He called Stalin Uncle Joe. Mm. So a lot of damage can be caused by people in America who are misled. I would put Jimmy Carter in that, in that category. He was, he was terribly duped many, many, many times as president. A uh, you know, guy who was a, Solid, born again Baptists from from the South, and and yet many times did things in foreign policy in particular that worked completely contrary to our interests because because he was too naive 
to the the threats that were out there. You know, that's that's a huge word right there. That struck me over the past couple years. I've been thinking about this word naive and how that it's so easy to to become that. Here's a question, Dr. Kangor. Um, We're Christians and, you know, we go to church, we sit in the pew. And does Christianity's influence end in the pew? What about the public square? Well, and, and I would say here too that that I found in 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 my book Dupes. In fact, in doing the research for it, I, I first talked to Herb Herb Romerstein, who's one of the people who I dedicated the book to. It Herb Herb had been a communist in his in his younger days, and he was he's, he's now passed away. He died about five years ago, but. But but I I asked him at the time I said Herb is there any particular group of of individuals or categories maybe teachers professors unions that are that are more susceptible that are more susceptible to being duped than any others and he said yeah that's easy the, the religious left he oh said, yes clergy 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 wow it's shocking. <laughs> The reason I say it's shocking is because you would think that um, a man of God, a man of the cloth, would uh, have studied in the United States. Yeah, would yeah. Stu- study the Word of God and study really simple things, straightforward things like the Ten Commandments, things that instruct us: you cannot steal, which which means that there is such a thing as private property and all of that. And it's like he's missing the the very elemental things. Well, and, and groups like the American Peace Mobilization, what, what they would do is they would appeal to religious left pastors by saying, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And, and, and of course, the guys who are saying that are actually communist atheists. They, they don't have any interest in that at all. They're just, they're just trying to keep America out of the war, because at that point, Stalin was in, a, in an alliance with Hitler. And if you go to the actual members of the of the, the the largest American peace mobilization rally, probably half the names had REV period reverend in front of them. So so a lot of times with with Christians, because we want to turn the other cheek, because we want to have peace, we want to be trusting, we want to have charity. A, a lot of that can be conducive to being fooled, misled, duped. And of course, the scriptures also tell us. Be, be gentle as lambs, but wise as serpents. So, so you you shouldn't just trust anything that you're being told. There's also the phrase too, Dan. Right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's right. So, so yeah. So you need to you need to. Of course, you want peace. You want to pursue peace, but you also got to be shrewd, judicious, careful, thoughtful, wise about who it is that you're dealing with. You know, uh, you, you prompted a thought also as we're talking. Today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor of Grove City College. Uh, the American Revolution, it's been said that um, the, the first great awakening and the influence of Christianity really was uh, kind of like the foundation of that American Revolution. Yeah, well, yeah, no question about that. And and the American founders were, were very wise about this stuff. In fact, they weren't naive at all. The, the type of system that they put together, and in particular, you credit James Madison, Alexander Hamilton on this. That they had they had a very strong sense of of man's fallen nature, and and Hamilton it was Hamilton that said men are vindictive, they are rapacious, 
And so be, because of that, they believe that you had to put in place a constitution with separation of powers, checks and balances, the ability to impeach, the ability to for the for the judiciary to check the legislature, the legislature to check the executive, the executive to have uh, you know, certain um, powers as well over over the legislature, veto power. So you know, all of this was put in place because their founding fathers had this sense of, of man's corruptibility, that, that this is a fallen world. And so because of that, they try to construct a system that would uh, try to think of the great phrase by, by Madison in Federalist 51. Yeah, this is it. He, he said, ambition must be made to check ambition. Mm. So we must be ambitious to make sure that men who are overly ambitious don't don't get into power and abuse those powers. Yeah. So so the founders had a great sense of that, which is which is I think why they've why they conceived that devised one of the best systems that that's worked for governance in, in the history of humanity. You remind me of uh, of a concept from the Book of James: how that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We need a lot of wisdom, and we do need to be wise as serpents. Um, Today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor, and Dr. Kangor, are there any recent events? Um, (laughs) This is quite a setup. In the public square, as you look at it, where you just shake your head and say to yourself, this is America? It's beyond belief. Am I dreaming? Oh, yeah. In fact, many cases lately of different nominees for the Trump administration, uh, Rao, I think, is the, is the current one, who are, who've been asked by the Senate Judiciary Committee in particular about, about their religious beliefs. And, oh, and, yes. and they want to know, you know what, what do you believe as a Christian? Because it, it, as if that's a religious test for whether or not the liberals on the committee allow you to be, to be a judge or not. The case of Amy Coney Barrett, who almost became President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. In fact, it's believed, Dan, that she came in second to Kavanaugh in the process, and that if, a, if, if Trump gets a third appointment, it might well be a, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. And she's a, she's a very devout Catholic mom, a Notre Dame law professor. She has five, six, seven kids, and uh, more than one is adopted. I think at least two, maybe more, are, are adopted. And it was Diane Feinstein on the Judiciary Committee who said, the dogma rings loudly within you, wow. as, as if that was, uh, right, as if that's a criticism, as, as if she's not allowed to believe in, in the dogmas, the, the, the teachings of, of her faith. Yeah, I would, I would hope. Yeah, I would hope right, that right. our leaders have a strong dogma and that it's grounded ideally in the Scriptures. That's right. Now imagine them saying, uh, uh, Dr. King, is, is this really true that you're a reverend and that your faith motivates you right. uh, uh, in, this, in this, this civil rights stuff? Right? And, yeah. and, and of course, in those cases, the liberals are more than happy to applaud and say, bring that faith into the public square. That is great. We need more people bringing their faith into the public <laughs> square. And, and, when, and when Barack Obama said, well, yeah, I, I, I support same-sex marriage because of my faith, the golden rule, right? Mm-hmm. Do unto others as you would do unto you. Or, or Nancy Pelosi, who, who, who used the same kind of logic to argue in favor of redefining marriage. And also, Nancy Pelosi, when it comes to environmental stuff, all the time she says, 
what she does in, on environmental issues, she considers that an act of worship. Yeah, I've it's, noticed it's kind that. Of an odd phrase. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed That's that. An odd phrase. She she wants to claim that she's doing God's will. Yeah, and when when liberals do that, other liberals give them a pass. So long as liberals are invoking the will of God to advance liberalism, but then as <laughs> soon as a, as the I don't even want to say a conservative Christian, but just a faithful Christian, an Orthodox Christian, small O Orthodox, who comes out and says, look, you know, my faith tradition teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. It can't be redefined. My faith teaches that the child in the womb is a child who should be defended. My faith teaches that he, God, made them male and female. There are only two genders. There can't be 71 genders, right, Facebook? <laughs> so, so then, then as soon as as soon as somebody on the other side does that, then the very same liberals say, "Oh, wait a second, you 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 can't be bringing your faith into the public square here." And then they and then they invent this notion of separation of church and state in a way that nobody ever intended it to be meant. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so they can they can be they can be incredibly contradictory. And, and, and selective and when they choose to apply the faith and when they don't. And in fact, really, more than being contradictory, they're, they're just flatly relativistic mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. like they are with so many things. I want to ask you this question, um, if you can contrast. It's almost hard to describe the first one, but hopefully we can. What does a normal, quote-unquote normal, American constitutional republic look like as compared to a, let's call it a perverted democracy, heavily influenced by communism, run by an elite class. First of all, what does that kind of, you know, healthy American constitutional republic even look like? Well, boy, it's a good question, and it's hard to it's hard to pick a time in the last two hundred twenty, two hundred thirty years of of American history when. You could even say, "Boy, that was an ideal time, right? That was that was that was sure. the right time and right place, and they really had it together then." And you know, the 1940s and the 1950s, the 1770s, 1780s, 1830s, right? It's hard to ever pick a time when there was that. Although I would say, in the in the full sweep of American history, it's you know, it's it's worked really well. You've got this amazing constitution that's only been amended. A couple dozen times, and, and that you know that includes the Bill of Rights, right? Mm-hmm. The first ten amendments of the Constitution. Beyond that, it hasn't been a, been amended that often. This is really America can boast, arguably the most stable republic, and certainly the most stable constitution in history. You know, I mean, there are countries in Latin America, countries like Haiti, the Dominican Republic, who've had hundreds of constitutions in, in the time since we've had just one. And you look at a country like Venezuela, which is in complete chaos right now, and and really shouldn't be happening in a country like Venezuela, which is which has been pretty prosperous. Yes, where you know which which has very rich oil reserves. That I I, I my wife and I I have a longtime friend going back to the college days who's from Venezuela. I mean she she would be what anybody would consider first world, right? And and here they are looking like you know, the the classic banana republic mm-hmm. with what's going on down there under Maduro, and, and that's that's a direct consequence of the quote unquote twenty first century socialism, as it was called as it was called that was put in place by Hugo Chavez 
about a dozen or so years ago. Mm-hmm. What are some of the basics of our of our republic? Um, you know, just describe some structures, if you can, in a couple of minutes. Well, I would say that that of those those amendments to the Constitution, starting with the first, freedom of speech, press, assembly, and religion, and of all those freedoms that's listed in that first amendment, I think it's very interesting, very ironic, very telling, and very purposeful that the first one speaks of religion. Right. Yeah. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And and people people need to remember that that's the free exercise clause. You know, that means that Amy Coney Barrett or whoever they have the right as Christians in the American democracy to freely exercise their religion, and you know, their religious beliefs, what they believe on something shouldn't disqualify them from being appointed to or serving on the bench. Yeah. Now, and um, I, I can't wait to get to this, but the, let me finish the, the first thought. Uh, in a perverted democracy, influenced by communism, socialism, whatever you want to call it, what kind of things do we see going on there? Well, I think that's that's unfortunately what we see today in cases, you know, I as I'm talking to you, I, I, I just left the state of Maryland, and now I'm up in the Pennsylvania. I'm coming up from CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, and I heard a lot of talk in the last few days about the case in, in Maryland in Prince George's County, where there is a cross that, that, was, that was donated from it's a World War I memorial to Prince George's County, and that cross in, in the town square, if you will, has the names of a whole bunch of, of veterans of World War I who lost their lives and died in World War I. And now the American Humanist uh, Association, the ACLU, the Separation of Church and Staters and other secular groups, they want that cross removed. They mm-hmm. want it taken down. And, and that's just not right. We're, 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 where's the diversity and tolerance? Why, why would you do that to somebody? <laughs> right. It, it just, just because, just because it's, it's, a, it's a cross? I mean, that, that's, that's absolutely outrageous. That reminds me of, of images we've recently seen coming out of China, where a church with a cross or whatever is being destroyed and taken down. Yeah, and, and I would never, as a Christian, say, Hey, that um, that star of David, that 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 sign there, that has a, you know, that that's a religious symbol that right. needs to be taken down. That, that's just not right. That that is incredibly intolerant yes. by, by people claiming tolerance. And and in this case that was actually recently heard, the the lower court judge Dan actually asked the question of of the of the group that was defending the cross. You're going to be shocked when you hear this, but but it's true. Actually, ask the question: If the sides of the cross could simply be cut off, oh, 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 yeah, and then that way that way it would just be a straight like pillar, sort of, right? Yeah, and and it just cut crosses cut the the sides off, and well, then it's no longer a cross, and then it's acceptable. Now that is a unbelievably misinformed and badly formed under. Of, of, of what religion means and what, what religion is in America. I mean, why don't we cut the arms off of Jesus while, while we're at it, yes, right? Yes. There, you know, are there any crosses with a corpus of Christ anywhere that would just cut, just cut the arms off, make it a half Jesus. 
Yes, yes. And then, then yeah, maybe then it would be acceptable. This is uh, this is an example of uh, a, a desire to expunge any of our godly heritage in this country. It is. It, it, it absolutely is. That's 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 precisely what's going on, and it's uh, it 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 just it seems it seems to be getting worse and. And, and again, how ironic that it's being pushed by people who pride themselves in their tolerance and diversity. And you find here, too, just, just like their application of faith in the public square, they're all about tolerance and diversity when it serves their purpose. Yeah. And then when it doesn't, they become intolerant, and they close off diversity. Just like they, they, they want faith in the public square, if it's Nancy Pelosi doing it on behalf of the environment— if it's Barack Obama doing it to argue for a redefinition of marriage, if it's Martin Luther King Jr. doing it on behalf of civil rights, but if some Christian pro-lifer starts talking about religion as a defense of their pro-life position, then it must be banished from the public square, right? <laughs> then the, the dogma the dogma rings loudly within you, my son. That must stop. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's a sad situation. And we've got about two or three minutes left. Uh, let's end on a note here um, that's very family-oriented. I know that you have a large family, Dr. King Gore, and um, some people would caution us and say, oh, you shouldn't have any more children, or uh, the, the world is overpopulated, all that stuff. But um, to me, this is the hope for the future. Can you talk a little bit about families and, and rearing godly children? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Families are, are a gift from God, and probably many, many of the people listening right now, even if they don't currently have a large family, they're descendants of large families. I, I talked to a woman two days ago who told me, and she's probably now in her fifties. She told me that her mother had sixteen children. Wow. She's um, African American, by the way, and and the reason that that came up in conversation is that she's really sickened by Margaret Sanger's birth control policies, which which were done on behalf of, in Margaret Sanger's case, what she called race improvement. And, oh, yeah. And also, to, yeah, and, and, and also for eugenics. And a lot of it, a lot of this has been, been directed at ethnic minorities in particular. What Ruth Bader Ginsburg referred to as, quote, populations we don't want too many of, unquote. Yes. So, but that is that is certainly not the biblical edict mandate: be fruitful and multiply, till the ends of the earth. And, and also, too, fear not, be not afraid. I mean, God made created this absolutely huge world. You, you could you could put the entire population of the world in the state of Texas, man, <laughs> and give everybody a couple acres of land. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's plenty of room. So the problem isn't overpopulation. The, the problem is economic policies and, and policies that, that work to, to lead to starvation and deprivation, which has never been a function of population. No. It's been more a function of, of, of ideology and, and, uh, and, and markets or lack of markets. Yeah, well, that's a very good point. And uh, I, I sense, Dr. Kangor, that... Um, People are waking up maybe more than ever about the horrors of baby killing that a particular party now advocates. And it's it's so shocking to people. I'm hoping that they will act uh, with their votes 
and also act with having large families because it's the godly thing to do. Well, yeah, I I I do too. And and, and you know the woman who I just mentioned, who's African American, we you know, we, we 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 were talking about how we both came from families. I mean, my my great grandparents they they were they were Italian, and all of them they were all Democrats. But but today, given where the Democratic Party stands on these cultural, religious, and questions of abortion, unborn human life, it, it's it, I'm not saying you have to be a Republican, no. but, but they make it really really hard to stay in the Democratic Party if you're a pro-life, traditional marriage, traditional family person in the Democratic Party. Yeah, and I I don't want to come across partisan. We're not. And I'm sure, in. Sure. I personally, I'm in neither party. I'm I'm in a, enrolled in a different party. However, it's it's hard not to talk about this stuff since you have, um, you you got to identify um, a function, call it that, in American history that wants to wipe out the babies. I mean that that's just plain right. evil. And I don't know how to it talk is. about it without becoming a little bit partisan. I'm not trying to be in any sense. Um, Paul Kangor, right. Dr. Paul Kangor is our guest today. Um, if someone wants to look you up online, perhaps uh, buy a book, tell us how they could do that. Well, thanks, Dan. Yeah, uh, Paul Kangor, K-E-N-G-O-R, and check out my books at Amazon. And you mentioned my book, Dupes. <laughs> check that out. That came out last year in a paperback updated edition in 2018. And you could also find my articles at the website for the Center for Vision and Values. And also I have a weekly column for the American Spectators, so you can find my columns there also. Yeah, I've been going there more frequently myself, and I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, is, yeah it's, it's a good website. American Spectators has been around for over 50 years. It's a great publication. Yeah, I love it. Dr. Kangor, thank you so much for taking your time today and joining us. Sure thing, Dan. Thanks. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.